Let me just uh, begin by saying that um, we're going to complete our study in Acts uh, next Sunday, and uh, Lord willing. And uh, so today we're going to have just a, an interim emphasis on uh, considering our church leadership and uh, installing our new elder and deacon. So bow with me in prayer if you would. Father, we thank you that you have called out a people unto yourself, that in the midst of a world that has rebelled against you, a world that has turned its back on you and defied your authority, we thank you that you have provided a rescuer, uh, one who is a redeemer, one who is uh, committed to uh, building a new society made up of people who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you that the gospel is the hope of our world, and we pray that you would help us to see and think through what it means to be a gospel-centered local church that honors you in your ways and follows your word, and pray that you would guide us now as we look into your word, uh, that it would not return void, but accomplish that which you have ordained it to do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Since, as I said, we're installing an elder and deacon today, I'd like to um, speak this morning on the topic of spiritual leadership in the local church specifically. And the text I'm using is from Philippians chapter 1. So if you'd like to find your way to Philippians chapter 1, just looking at the first verse of that epistle, Philippians 1, verse 1. And there we read Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, <clears throat> to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Some of you are thinking, oh, that's the, that's the text. It's a short text. should be a short sermon. Well, as we look at this text, I'd like to just answer five questions regarding the issue of spiritual leaders in the local church. You can follow along in your notes, or you can just listen. The first is why. Why are spiritual leaders necessary? According to this verse in Philippians 1, verse 1, every Christian, every follower of Jesus is a saint. And by that we understand the scriptures to mean that every Christian is a set-apart one, a person who has been uh, devoted unto God, a person who is holy unto God, H-O-L-Y. Every child of God then not only is called and set apart by God for himself, but we also learn in Ephesians 4 that it says in Scripture that every believer is called to do the work of the ministry. Well, that's important to understand as a background as we get into the issue of leaders in the church because the Scripture makes clear that if you take the whole inclusion or the, all of the members of a local church, the totality of all those members, apparently there is a subsection uh, that is in a unique uh, responsibility. All of the members of the local church are to be ministers or involved in ministry, but there's a subsection of that in, in, uh, totality that are given over to the role of leadership in the local church. And that's where we find the terms overseers and deacons. 
The question then is, why? Why are some saints, why are some believers granted positions of leadership when every believer is called to be a minister? And the answer, I think, lies in the understanding of the nature of the local church. You see, the members of a local church in Scripture are compared, interestingly enough, uh, to a number of different uh, symbols or, or uh, metaphors, but one of them that is recurrent in Scripture is a flock of sheep. Uh, Peter refers to local churches in the fifth chapter of his first epistle. He says, the flock of God among you, talking to those who are elders or those who are leaders. He talks about the church. He's not talking about literal four-legged animals. Uh, he's talking about the church. And so Paul also held a similar view in Acts chapter 20, Paul says, Be on guard for all the flock, or all the church members, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So then you would begin to ask yourself, well, why is that the analogy for the church? Why pick sheep? A flock of sheep, no less. Well, Four-legged sheep do not thrive very well when left on their own to fend for themselves. They actually need continuous help. They easily become disoriented. They can forget exactly where they are and where they're supposed to be going or where the, where the food is or where the safe um, place of shelter would be. They are also quite easily... Um, let along without very much discernment as to where they're going. For example, if you ever take, they call it a Judas sheep, it can be a sheep that will take and lead them, and they'll lead those sheep right off a cliff. If one goes off, they'll all just keep following, and they'll all just jump off that cliff into their death, no less. Uh, they are vulnerable. They are rather defenseless. They are una unable to kick or bite or jump or run. Uh, they really are sitting ducks, as it were, to use another analogy. And if they ever fall on their back, if a sheep ever stumbles and, and rolls over, that sheep is unable to right itself and to somehow regain uh, proper standing again, rolling back up on it to its feet. Uh, so sometimes the scriptures will talk about um, cast down. Uh, casting down is a first sheep means he's rolled over on his back, he can't get back up. Well, I think local churches, like flocks of sheep, they need shepherds. Shepherds to properly feed and protect and lead them. So God in his wisdom and love has ordained local churches to have shepherds, to have servants assisting and helping in those shepherding processes who will provide oversight, who will provide protection to the members of a local church. And these spiritual leaders are to provide spiritual proper nourishment, and that nourishment involves sound doctrine, uh, the actual correct teaching of Scripture. They will provide them um, fending off any kinds of error and false teachers that we've been warned against in Scripture, and provide overall direction and correction when necessary. Now, all of that is against the backdrop of the Scriptures reminding us of the role that Jesus Christ plays in serving and helping provide leadership for his church, meaning all believers in all generations. Jesus is called the chief shepherd. Uh, 
the great shepherd of the sheep, it says in Hebrews chapter 13. It is Jesus who perfectly and sufficiently and always correctly cares for and protects his sheep everywhere they are in the world. And every local flock of believers cannot thrive and cannot function as a flock that God designed it to be apart from the understanding that Jesus is the true shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, it says. He is the good shepherd in John 10 who gave himself that he might say, I want you to be mine and I want to rescue you from your own uh, uh, vulnerability to your own sin to someday having to have, be accountable to the fact that you have gone into your own way, you've wandered off in your own way, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on that one sheep who died for us, as it were, the great Lamb of God, who now is the shepherd. And so here he is, the Christ is the sheep over his shepherd, over his sheep, sorry, Christ is the shepherd over his sheep, church universal. But he assigns there under shepherds who will look after the local flocks of God in a way that provide proper care and oversight uh, according to his ways. And so to answer the question when we start off with, why are church leaders necessary? The answer is just as sheep need shepherds, so every local church needs spiritual leaders because church members need spiritual shepherding. So that's question number one. Question number two is, why is the nature, what is the nature of spiritual leaders in a local church? And Paul reminds the flock at Philippi that his role there as a leader, a missionary in the first century, was to be a bondservant. Bondservant. That means a person who is most likely owned by someone or who is obligated to serve them in a in a role, a subservient or dependent role upon that person. And so again, reminded here in this text that godly spiritual leaders are warned and cautioned time and time again in the scriptures not to follow the commonly, the common worldly pattern of leadership that's characterized by two terrible distortions of what the kind of leadership that God wants in his church. Number one, he doesn't want manipulation or leadership by intimidation. And that's so common in our world today. That's warned in 1 Peter in Matthew chapter 20. But spiritual leaders instead are to resist the temptation to use people to serve their own selfish purposes. Instead, they are to serve the people of God to accomplish God's purposes. And so they're to be motivated not by financial gain, what they can get out of them, to fleece the sheep, as it were, to not desire to be in a control over those who are allotted to their charge, but the spiritual leaders are examples to the flock of what it means to be a humble servant before Jesus Christ. And Timothy served apparently in this role quite effectively. If you look in Philippians chapter 2, just turn over a page or two, in your Bibles, and you'll find Philippians chapter 2, Paul commending Timothy as one of these under-shepherds uh, in his service there to the church in Philippi. He says, but I hope in the Lord, verse 19 of chapter 2 in Philippians, but I hope in the Lord, Jesus, to send Timothy to you shortly, 
For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. What a sad commentary. That only Timothy is the one who truly is one serving, the one who truly has their interest in mind as he comes to minister among the people of that church. For they, apparently all the other leaders that apparently had been serving, all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of Timothy's proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. So you get a sense of the, the attitude, the, the uh, approach in which Timothy sought to help. It's essential that the shepherds of God's flock serve the interests of Jesus Christ. And therefore, they must have a genuine concern for the welfare of those who are under their care. They must have a devotion to sound doctrine. And they must have a willingness to obediently and humbly serve under the lordship of Christ. Now, I say that point very with great conviction because I've been reading again, as we've all been reading in the news, the horrific scandal of, of what's happening in the Roman Catholic Church, as we heard about the report for the Attorney General in Pennsylvania, the numbers of abuse, the number of people who've covered up that abuse, going up the different levels of responsibility. But my friends, let's, that is awful to say to start with, but let's not limit it there. Let's understand it also happens in evangelical churches. It's a problem in any and all churches. And so let, hear me say this very clearly. Never obey a church leader in our church or any church if that church leader encourages you or demands of you that you do anything that is sinful, anything that's contrary to Scripture. Because if it's not revealed as God's will in Scripture, you therefore are not to be under the authority of that person. That person is not serving the interests of Jesus Christ. Please hear me say that. It's very important, therefore, that we understand that whatever authority any of us who serve in spiritual leadership here in this church, our authority is only the authority of Scripture. We really have no authority of our own. All we do is fall back on the authority of Scripture. So one of the most important elements of a spiritual leader then, a local church, is to have a wholehearted agreement that the flock under their care does not belong to them. It belongs to God. And therefore, it's, therefore we understand that it must be cared for the church must be protected and fed according to the standards that God has laid down and established in the Word of God. So we looked at the necessity for church leaders, the nature of church leaders. I'm moving on to point number three. Uh, what is the proper pattern of church leaders who serve in the local church? Now this can get a little technical here, so follow along with me if you will, but I'm trying to make some helpful points here. Uh, because there's a lot of controversy in these areas. But if you notice in Philippians 1.1, the text mentions, in the translation that we read earlier, it mentions overseers and deacons. Now, if you have a King James version of the Bible, which is what I grew up with, um, that verse mentions bishops and deacons. And that can be quite confusing. Uh, I remember when I was ordained. Uh, this is a copy of my ordination certificate that I framed years ago. This was uh, 1985. 
uh, ordained to the gospel ministry at Trinity, Trinity Church, Congregational in Bolton, Mass. My middle name happens to be Bishop. And oh, brother, did I hear a couple of allusions to Bishop about, uh, you know, you need to do this and that and whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, that is not a good word to use. It's not a very good translation of the word. Uh, and I'll explain why in just a second here, uh, because it's confusing is the main thing. But um, let me just mention the word overseer here is the word from which we get the, uh, another name, episcopal. Episcopos, episcopoi is the word. And it was used in Greek culture to refer to people who are the watchmen, the people who were overseers of public works and other areas of responsibility in the culture. Now, using the New Testament, this term refers to officers in the local church who exercise careful care, watch care over God's church. So that's why I'm saying I don't like the word bishop here because I want to be consistent. Every time it's used, it means overseer. And uh, because bishop, as I'll say later on, seems to signify we've got several layers of hierarchical structure. And I'll show you how I don't think that's biblical at all. But uh, they use the term episkopoi, episkopos, or elder, overseer. Um, is used interchangeably with another word, which from which we get the word presbyterian, presbyteros. So there's episcopal, episkopos, presbyteros. These are two different terms. One is... Um, translated overseer, one is translated elder. But you're going to find as you read the scriptures, they are used interchangeably. They mean the same thing, one and the same thing. And it's very clear if you look in Acts 20, for example. The two terms, both of these terms in the original language, overseer and elder, are found in Acts 20, in verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church, Presbyteros. Verse 28, he says to them, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Episcopos. So the two terms appear right there in the same text. He's talking about the same group of people. So therefore, he's not talking about different roles or different um, actual levels of hierarchical structure. Uh, again, there's no hierarchy, hierarchy among the leaders in the local church. It's just elders and deacons. As a matter of fact, I don't know where you get all these terms, and I'd like, be, like to challenge those who've come up with these terms. Where do you get the term cardinal, bishop, and priest to refer to people who have any kind of authority in the New Testament age in which we live? Those things are just no found, not found. As a matter of fact, we are priests. It says in Scripture, every believer. So, uh, again, I would just say, Paul assumes here in this text a plurality of leaders serving in a local church. Notice it has an S there on the word overseers. He's talking about the one church of Philippi, and he mentions the elders, sorry, the overseers, excuse me, and the deacons. So there's a plurality of elders and that is God's pattern for the church. According to Acts 14, that was the pattern that Paul followed when he started a new church. We read in verse 23 when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It says the same thing 
If you look in other places, Titus was admonished by Paul to appoint elders in every city that I directed you. Titus 1.5. So my point here is that one of the areas it seems to me that's a common problem in certain churches where the local church only has the pastor is considered to be the elder and other people are serving under him, perhaps as deacons. Uh, the sadness, the sad reality is that that person who's charged then with the responsibility of shepherding alone, really, and the healthier biblical pattern, however, is to have multiple spiritual leaders, multiple elders, and the benefit of that, of the plurality of elders, is that it includes the element of mutual accountability among them. They hold each other accountable. They balance out their strengths and weaknesses when you have multiple ones, not just one. And they share in the workload, so it doesn't tend to overburden one particular person among them. And we understand from Acts 6 that the elders' primary focus is to be a ministry of the Word and the ministry of prayer. Ministry of word and ministry of prayer. The other term that is used for leaders there in the church of Philippi, along with overseer, was deacons. The term was used in the New Testament to refer to those who offered some sort of practical service of various kinds within the church. Various ways of practically, practically helping in the life of the church in, in detailed ways. And the New Testament does not seem to specify a particular task the deacons are to perform, but they are to be men of high ethical standards who are exemplary in their conduct. And in our church, we entrust oversight of our finances and oversight of the stewardship of our facilities uh, and our resources of our church to these individuals within our own church. So that seeks to try to lay out what my understanding is of this particular uh, the nature of that kind of leadership. Let's look now at what are the qualifications of spiritual leaders in the local church. Well, those who serve as elders or overseers and deacons are to meet certain standards. They are spelled out in 1 Timothy 3, chapter 3, and in Titus chapter 1. And though many in our society are shifting on this issue, and there is much disagreement about this more and more, I'm convinced that the scriptures are rather clear that the first qualification of an elder or deacon is that they be a man. Now, I say that not because I am a chauvinistic pig or I'm a person who has a very negative view of women and, and uh, paternalistic kind of instincts. Not at all. I'm just looking at scripture. I'm just dealing with what the scriptures teach. And within the church and within the family, Male headship is the biblical norm. Along with explicit texts like 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, where we read that an overseer is to be a one-woman man. We also read in, chapter, in verse 12 of 1 Timothy 3 that deacons are to be the husband of one wife or a one-woman husband, one-woman man. The passage refers over and over again to the pronoun he throughout that entire text. As a matter of fact, when you get to Acts chapter 20, it says when Paul's talking to the overseers, he says, from among your own selves, that is the elders, the, the overseers, 
men will arise. So he, he is understanding that that is what would be the, the, the pattern that would follow because they are made up of men. Does that mean that men are better than women? No. Does it mean that men are smarter than women? No. It just means that that is the pattern, the role which God has assigned in his differentiation among those who are equals. As there are differentiations of responsibilities even within the Trinity, they're all members of the Trinity are equal, persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit serves the, the Father and the Son. The Son serves the Father's plan. The Son sends the Spirit. They have different roles, but they're equal. There's much more I could say about that, but I'm not going to dwell on that point alone. I'm just explaining why we do what we do in our church. But the second overarching qualification is they need to be above reproach. Above reproach. What that means is that nothing will stick when it comes to serious flaws of character in their personal, social, business, and family life. That is, they are known far and wide with a character that is such that it would commend itself as there's nothing really that's going to stick. There's no accusation that's really going to hold. An elder must be a one-woman man, which means single-mindedly devoted to his wife. He must live a balanced, moderate life, earning the respect of his peers. He is to be willing to open his home and heart and exhibit hospitality. He must not be addicted to wine. He must not be a violent person. He must not be gentle. I mean, he must be gentle. He must be uncontentious, um, discreet, and free from the love of money. He's not driven by money alone. And he must possess good managerial skills at home with his wife and his children. He's not to be a new convert or a person who is self-willed. And lastly, the characteristic of an elder that sets that position apart from a deacon, we read in Scripture, is that he must be able to teach or to be able to exhort in sound doctrine to refute those who contradict Titus chapter 1. So both deacons and elders are to be men of impeccable reputation within the church and in the community at large. The difference between the two, the difference between elders and deacons, is that the elders are to be skilled in teaching. More than anything, the leaders in a local church are to lead exemplary lives. I cannot emphasize that enough. You can know lots of doctrine. You can know all sorts of truths that are based on biblical teaching. But if you're not living that out in a way that commends others to follow that example, then your leadership is going to be very short-lived. And so Paul encouraged the Philippian believers, if you look there in chapter 3, verse 17, or even in 4.19, he says, The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, he says. So he says he himself is to be seen as someone who is living an exemplary life. And why is that? Why is example such a big deal? Well, I think we all know it's because the essence of leadership is influence. Every church has influencers, and there are people who influence others for good. That is, they be Christ 
honoring men of Christian character and commitment to biblical teaching. And then there are those whose influence is negative. They promote compromise. They promote self-rule by lording it over the local church, the flock of God. And I would just say again, the reminder is that anyone who serves in these important roles, that they must always remember that in such service, they must remember that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. He gave himself for the church. He bought the church with his own blood. And therefore, how we serve and how we live is so significant as it's being watched by those members of the flock. Well, you say, well, none of this had to do with me because I'm not one of these guys who's being installed today. So you just sort of talked right past me today. Well, let me just sort of land this sermon down to where the members of our church and others who are here among us today who maybe take some things to heart as we look at what is the responsibility of church members to their spiritual leaders. First of all, let me just say quickly, all of us are to strive for the same character traits that you read me describe there from 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1, the same character traits that elders and deacons are to strive after. We too, all of us, are to strive after those. All of us should strive to be above reproach and sexually pure and self-disciplined and well-organized, hospitable, patient, free from the love of money, mature, well-respected among unbelievers, not given to excess, not a drinker, not a fighter, and not quarrelsome. All those things are excellent characteristics that we all should be striving for. But the elders and deacons are required to meet those standards. The rest of us have it as our privilege to continue to move toward those kind of character traits in our life. By the grace of God, of course, as we all realize we're not perfect, we're under construction through the Holy Spirit. All of us should see these traits as highly valued in our church and live lives that are moving in that direction as the ideal toward which we want to go. Boy, do we ever need people like that in this world in which we live as godly examples. Secondly, I would say, not only are we to strive for the same character traits, but let me urge all of us, whoever you are here today, to pray for our elders and deacons. They bear a heavy weight of responsibility. They are vulnerable, just like you, but even more so for them, because Satan has, in a sense, a desire to take out those who are, or to make vulnerable and, and trip up those who are in roles of positions of leadership or responsibility. So he has various schemes that he will seek to work upon those in leadership, those who are in leaders, leadership face discouragement. They face the potential for disunity among themselves. So pray that they will strive to lead with integrity, that they will lead with humility, with an unreserved commitment to the authority of God's word and take their stand on Scripture and Scripture alone. Another practical way, it seems to me, this can be applied. This is not going to be very popular, but hey, it's biblical. Um, church members are to honor and obey their leaders. You say, where did you get that in the Bible? Well, Hebrews 13, 17. If you're not familiar with the text, let me encourage you to find it and read it and take it to heart. The writer of Hebrews says, obey your leaders and submit to them. 
For they will keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Paul also wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, We request of you, this is writing to believers now, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord Jesus and give you instruction that you esteem them highly in love because of their work. So give them honor as they serve among you in honorable ways, then you obviously want to deal with them in honor as well, and that you obey them and submit to them. Now you say, well, when do I have to submit to them? Usually it's when they're coming to express concern about something in your life that's not matching up to your profession. And that's oftentimes when people are running away from elders, for example. They don't want to hear the person hold them accountable and lovingly confront them and help them, show them in the scriptures, to pray with them, to counsel them. And so that's an opportunity where we need to take that to heart. May I also just say, to add to this practical thought of responsibilities, that the shepherding and serving of a local church leaders is fully provided only to church members. That these areas of their service, these areas of trying to tend and, and care for the flock, it only applies to those who are members of the local church. They're not applied to those who are just attenders, those who are just people who happen to be here, here and there, and who happen to be associated with some church somewhere. No, it's only for the members are they the ones who are your leaders. So if you're not a member, you're missing out on the care provided through those folks. And lastly, I would just say that local church leaders are not perfect. Do I need to say that? They're not perfect. And so I say that to remind you that we are sinners saved by grace. And that as the text, I think it was John Flavel, the Puritan writer, said this, the best of men are men at best. And so I hope you'll be patient with those of us who serve, and we welcome your suggestions. We welcome your comments. We welcome areas of your ideas and things that you can do to help us in our church and even in ourselves in our own lives. We are people who are approachable and therefore hopefully still learning and growing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the one who is the great shepherd, the ultimate shepherd. We thank you that he, oh, his love for his church is such a beautiful reminder. He is not only concerned about himself, how he gave himself. He laid down his life on the cross. He endured and withstood and bore the wrath of God that was aimed at us, that he might purchase us, that he might bear our punishment, that he might grant us full and free forgiveness through his shed blood. And that we thank you that all of those who have come to Christ in faith and who have repented of their sins, how we thank you that we are the sheep who belong to Jesus. He's bought us and knows us by name. And Lord, I just pray that you would Help us to see that it is Jesus who is the true shepherd of this local church. And I pray for those who serve as under-shepherds. I pray for those who are uh, even today being installed. We pray that you would help them. We pray that you would help those of us here, Lord, who uh, serve 
uh, as members of this flock, Lord, we pray that we might do what we do in our life together in a way that would honor you, would make the gospel clear to other people, and that we would all, Lord, be pointing others to the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself in great love, in great humility for us. We pray in his name. Amen.